0: righty, guys, how's it going? Welcome in here, Rover Sports tonight, and uh, we got a good podcast. Uh, hopefully it's good. Don't want to jinx myself. It's kind of like I got this really funny story. You know, I got this super funny story, and then the story goes, and the expectation of the story being funny is not exactly uh, a positive for your story. So let's just say I have a podcast tonight, and the style of this podcast is going to be based around the schedule of, of everything that I kind of did this weekend. Um, and, and to keep it 100 with the listeners of Rover Sports, the podcast. I was not really able to consume the Sixers game. I was kind of at a crappy restaurant that did not have the game on. I heard that Ben Simmons got hurt. I know that his back is bothering him and he's going to be out a significant amount of time. And that is that is not good, okay? That is not good. And it's going to allow Embiid uh, to, to make his case uh, for, for a lot of Sixers fans that wanted Ben Simmons to be traded over the course of the year. It's going to allow Embiid to make the case uh, you know, why he is such a valuable asset to this team. But tonight they go out there, they beat Atlanta. Atlanta, I mean, I don't know if Lloyd Pierce's team is all that great. Kevin Herter needs to be a really good player for them. Uh, I wasn't in love with the Cam Reddish pick, but DeAndre Hunter, I think that Hunter can really be a special and good player, and he's going to have to be the sidekick of Trey Young. In Atlanta, if the if the if the Atlanta Hawks are going to start to become an elite level team, so even though it was no Simmons, the fact that the Hawks are playing at the Wells Fargo Center, I just felt that the Sixers were going to roll through and win, and they did. So they went one and one, and during this exercise, maybe I can look at the Sixers in terms of their standings, the Heat. I you know no Tyler Hero they have a Guadala. maybe they're going to be better in the playoffs but I think that the Heat are kind of out of the running in the Eastern Conference. I think Boston has really established themselves as an as a team that can really be elite, you know, if Daniel Tice playing better at defense and and Jason Tatum is just on an absolute tear in the month of February. He has been phenomenal. And the guy is has a seven-foot wingspan. His footwork, the way he is, is six seven, lanky, can shoot it, can handle. He is a really special player. And his confidence is sky high. And, and that's what really matters for Jason Tatum and for Boston. So I look at Boston as really being a problem in the Eastern Conference. I do. I, I look at Boston being a problem. Uh, the, the Raptors, maybe the Raptors are a problem. I'm, I'm not completely sold on, on them You know, without Kawhi Leonard. And if you stop Pascal Siakam, you're probably going to get a good chance to beat them. Uh, so you have Boston, Toronto, and it looks like the Sixers are going to surge through. I have to see about Miami's schedule. I mean, not having Hero, uh, that certainly hurts you. So now the Sixers then go to Cleveland and play the Knicks. So the Sixers, I mean, they won their their last four before Milwaukee, Um they got a great chance here. All right, they go to the Cavs. They then they then play the Knicks. So they they gotta win these two games before they head out to L.A. Because the Clippers the Clippers uh, have been under a lot of scrutiny for how they've played. Um, and I didn't love the addition of that point guard uh, Reggie Jackson from the Detroit Pistons and from OKC. He's kind of like a ball hog. I don't think he makes his teammates a better play. Uh, better. And to just have him in kind of a substitute role when you already have Lou Williams who needs the ball in his hands and who already is an elite scorer, I don't get the signing of Reggie Jackson one iota. And he's probably not going to play that important of a role if if the Clips are going to you know end up winning a championship or anything. But he could do you damage because he could lead to some turnovers and wacky possessions. But the Sixers got the Cavs away, and the Cavs are playing better under uh, J.B. Biggerstaff. They actually just beat the Heat, so that's not exactly going to be um, the the easiest of tests, and that's going to be Wednesday at 7 o'clock. going to be a lot of fun. I'll definitely watch uh, that game. I'll definitely be in tuned. Got the Knicks then coming to the Wells Fargo Center. And that's going to, I think actually I might have tickets to that. It's, a, it's actually going to be a Thursday game. Uh, Knicks could be a TNT game. I think the Sixers should handle them pretty easily. Then they go out to Clippers and to Lakers, uh, a Sunday and a Tuesday start. And for that Lakers game, when these players are out in LA, when these players are out in LA for the weekend and for the week, the Sixers are going to be in LA. Uh, for a long stretch of time they're probably going to get there Friday night or or excuse me yeah probably Friday they'll get out to LA and these guys are going to want to hang out they're going to want to hang in LA they're going to want to drink and they're going to want to see celebrities and see their buddies and LA is just a great town to go out and and party and have fun if you're a young millionaire uh, like these NBA players are. So the Clippers game on Sunday could be an ABC game. Clippers will be motivated. That game will be brutally hard to win. The Lakers will be a flat loss. Then they play the Kings on a Thursday night, and the game is not on TNT. That's going to be a real tricky game. And with the way that they play the Bucs with no Ben Simmons, I expect the Sixers to lose that game as well. It could be devastating. And then the Warriors are a pesky, tough team. And the Sixers wait a while. Then they got the Pistons at home, Pacers at home, Wizards, Raptors. Um, so then they got a nice home stand after that. But the road trip is going to balance out everything that's good. And, uh, and and Boston, I mean, if we look at Boston in the standings right now, the Celtics still hold like a four game lead on on the Sixers. Celtics are are, are going to Portland. And they're doing they're doing decent on this road trip, uh, one and one so far on the trip. They got the Jazz, they got Portland, and then they come home for kind of a homestand. They kind of got some tough Western conference games. They got the Bucks, Pacers, a pretty mild schedule, but not as easy, I think, as Philly. Philly at the end. If the Sixers can kind of, you know, go out west and and get a surprise win on the four-game road trip, so it's two-and-two. I'll take the Kings win as a huge win if they're able to win that and go two and two, or if they somehow beat the LA team, go two and two. That's the expectation, is somehow to go two and two. But it, one and three is is more likely. I would predict one and three. Uh, but yeah, Embiid with forty nine, great game. Now people are going to say it's against an inferior opponent. Still, it's special. Embiid's a great player. Um, and he, and he's at peak of powers right now. So Joel Embiid doing a great job and we you know my policy on the last podcast um, you know when Embiid went after the Philly fans a little bit with the shushing them uh, during the game, you know, then Embiid followed that with an amazing performance against the Clippers. And I know that the Clippers have kind of faltered faltered a little bit, but that was a high high intensity game. In a great game with Josh Richardson and Embiid. So this is the team that they this is the team, man. This is Embiid. This is Ben Simmons team. And this is gonna be a fun playoffs. No matter what, it's gonna be intriguing. When you have two special players like Ben and Embiid, uh you pray that they stay healthy. And then you're going to have an interesting journey throughout this playoffs because no matter what happens, say you get bounced uh, first or second round, even if you get bounced in the conference finals to Milwaukee in five or something, Brett Brown, unless they win the East, is most likely going to go. Uh, so, so someone's heads are going to roll somewhere. You know, you're probably then going to see, you know, Simmons and Embiid. A lot of trade discussions going to be presented over the summer over the summer months, especially during summer league period and all of that. Um, so, so then that's going to be intriguing. And if the Heat don't do any better, you know, then the Heat are going to be in discussions for Dame Lillard that, you know, Embiid and the Greek freak are very close. So if the, if the Buck, if the Heat want to lure Giannis to the Heat, um, it, it just makes sense to have, you know, Embiid in the fold there. And and the you know with with Kendrick Nunn and Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo, the Heat certainly have players that are young that that the Sixers uh, could could propose if it were to go there. But I'm not quitting necessarily on the season, the Sixers need to stay within arm's distance of of the Celtics. They kind of need to tread water. They need to win the games they're supposed to, and then in April they can make a mad run at the number 3 seed because the schedule just gets really easy once you get um, you know, into mid-March. It's all downhill kind of after the West Coast swing that we're going to have coming up. So, that's kind of Sixers basketball talk. Good win against Atlanta tough game in Milwaukee with Simmons going out. You essentially had no chance. You have to play a great game to beat the Bucs at home. And um, and we'll see what happens going forward with this Philly team and, and, and a couple of winnable games with the Cavs on the road. Again, the Cavs are pesky and the Knicks at home. All righty, let's talk about, you know, before we get too past this weekend, let's talk a little bit about Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. I really enjoyed learning about the backstory of Tyson Fury and how he was a six-nine heavyweight champion. How the guy was an undefeated champion, and I like how honest. And it takes some bravery to come forward, and and it takes you know some some guts to pretty much be comfortable sharing the people about some very personal topics in Tyson Fury's life, which included anxiety. Which just so many people deal with, and I, I've dealt with anxiety uh, certainly in my life, and, and it's going to when you deal with anxiety, like Tyson Fury said, you know, there's really not a defeat to anxiety. You know, some days are going to be anxious, and some days, uh, some days are going to be better. Most of the time, I find that when I'm distracted, uh, when I got something real that I'm really interested in, uh, something enjoyable. Um, doing something with my family and friends that that is enriching and, and and can open up your mind to a lot of stuff that can help uh, with anxiety. staying busy, uh, you know, less time actually on social media. social media can be quite negative sometimes and, um, but just yeah, you know, if there's a show you like and and different different things, uh, just to just to kind of get you through uh, tough times. But it was it was great to hear Tyson open up, and I'm really happy for him. That he was able to win, especially after hearing all of the hardships that he's had. Deontay Wilder is an incredible champion. I went back and I watched all the YouTube clips of Deontay Wilder and I watched all the clips of him teeing off. And, and, I, and I think he's knocked people out 40 times out of the 41 fights. And the one fight was the draw, I think, maybe the Tyson Fury. But Wilder, I mean, you know, in the seventh round, he'll knock somebody out. In the eighth round, in the second round, you never know when it's going to happen. He overpowers guys. He's six seven, about two sixty. His wingspan. The guy's so cut, and um, and Wilder is a freaking stud. And uh, I love the way that the guy boxed. And I'm I'm disappointed in myself because I am a fan of boxing. You know, I grew up on Barrera, on Pacquiao, on Morales. You know, the trilogies of the featherweights of the of the early 2000s, a little HBO boxing after dark with Jim Lampley and and Letterman. And, you know, the guy who would do the uh, the scorecards there, Um, the guy would do the maybe it's Jim Lampley. and, And also you had Emmanuel Stewart. And man, those were some great, great times. in purchasing fights, the Golden Boy, Oscar de la Hoya, Sugar Shane Mosley, um, just, uh, you know, Antonio Tarver, Roy Jones, Lennox Lewis. Uh, and then I got into, you know, the Welderweights. And Miguel Cotto was kind of the last fighter in 06 that I knew was going to come up and, and do some special things. But I really loved it on HBO. There was something about HBO After Dark that having it on HBO pay-per-view, that was just so cool. And now with Fox, you know, kind of owning boxing or its ESPN Friday night fights, you know, at MSG, it doesn't have the same appeal as Saturday night in Vegas. And I even wanted the fight to go later at night, um, but You know, and also with with boxing, I think boxing can do a better job, kind of like UFC, of having a minor league system of boxing you know, from from all over every country. And if they're, you know, in Britain, there's unbelievable boxing. And it'd be nice if you can, like, if even, you know, channels like FS1, you know, can cover those boxing matches and can promote the, the minor league system. Or if there could be boxing tournaments on TV where you can follow these guys, get to know their personalities even more. Now with UFC... I feel UFC has definitely taken over a lot from boxing, you know, with Conor McGregor. Uh, the female divisions of, of UFC are so prominent, and, um, you know, the personalities that Dana White has created, you just know these personalities so much better. But the sport of boxing, you know, I like the sport of boxing better. Uh, UFC, I get the draw to it. I get it's exciting to kick people and wrestle and, and be able to do any sort of move. But the sport of boxing is classic, you know, Ali, <laughs> George Frazier or George Ford, whatever, you know, going back to, you know, the, the Bernard Hopkins, the executioner Hopkins. Let's just see how many old wrestler, uh, old boxers I can name, you know, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, you know, in the 80s. And I mean, Mike Tyson in the 90s. And, and the fact that you'd go to a movie theater to watch this kind of stuff, um, you know, Ali Frazier, the, the, the fact that, you, that, guy, that people went to movie theaters to watch it, it was really special. And, um, and sure these fighters, I mean, with concussions and stuff, I mean, the, the rigor that they put themselves through, but, but with boxing, you know, the, the best boxers like a Floyd Mayweather, Pacquiao, especially Floyd, they have ways where they don't, you know, where they, where they're so good at dodging hits and and dodging punches. And the training is what is so intense about the journey or what it can be so enjoyable for a fighter. And um, it was just nice to, to be exposed to, to these two, guys, you know, forms of boxers. And, you know, being in college and kind of going through the last few years of my life, it's, it's just something that, again, it's not on Saturday night. Um, HBO used to carry it. You know, I used to have Direct TV; That used to be the only way to get the fight. And even though it was difficult to get the fight, I still was used to, you know, having that option you know, of pay-per-view. And um, there's something I love, uh, you know, even about the undercards. And if there was a big fight, you know, on a Saturday night, I'd have my pigs in a blanket right here. You know, I would would have, you know, a couple of waters, maybe mix in a soda, go to Bertucci's, get a large cheese pizza from the takeout at Bertucci's, just get a large cheese pizza all to myself, you know. Going through teenage years, you can eat a dang large cheese pizza, a whole cheese pizza, and your metabolism just, you know, you still are thin. You still are rock fin. I'm not going to say I had a six pack of abs, but I just ate two tasty cake cupcakes every afternoon with, a, you know, sliced cheese every single day. And, um, and those times have unfortunately gone where I, I do have to watch my way a little bit. And, but besides the point, you know, talking about the boxing. Um, I mean, that, 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 those were just incredible. I mean, Morales Barrera, you know, I'd wait for my dad to get home and, and, and to be able to watch just the intensity of Roy Jones and, and Shane Mosley and all the characters and De La Hoya. Um, I mean, these guys are just legends and, and, and now, you know, you look at Deontay Wilder and, you got to find a way to kind of there's more competition maybe with Netflix but you got to find a way to kind of hook me you know and and you got to come up with great storylines great promotion and i'm not sure that the boxing world has really done that lately uh, it's kind of been if you look at the numbers i would i would believe it's been unfortunately a sport that is not really progressing at the rate that it would like in this current landscape, but that fight was a very good one. You know, you look at Tyson Fury; he's six nine. He definitely is a little bit chubby. I wasn't aware of the backstory that he got up to four hundred pounds because of his, his anxiety. He was just eating a lot. But then he got down to about 300 pounds or whatever he was at. And he was still a little bit chubby, you know, and and, and the guy is 6'9", though. He's so tall. And even when he'd throw like those, you know, sometimes he would just like even just throw the softest of punches, like a backhand punch where it seemed like he was punching you with the back of his fist. The guy was just, I mean, a real and, and he was a real magician and super light on his feet and. And that's the way that, that Tyson's always fought, you know, because I rewatched a lot of his fights uh, after this one. I was so intrigued by his style that he's just a big dancing bear. He's big and, and he's just so swift, and, and his movement skills are really impressive. And then you look at um, he went to Germany to, to face the Klinchko brother in 2012. I definitely was aware of the Klinchko family and how prominent they are in boxing both of the brothers. He took on Vitaly in Germany and won, went to Los Angeles and fought Wilder. Wilder had a huge knockout in the 12th round, but, but uh, on, on the count of eight, um, Tyson got up. It ended up being a decision and he just pretty much, I mean, now now Deontay Wilder's trying to say that his in-ring entrance uh of wearing uh that kind of like superhero mask and costume, you know, really derailed him during the fight because it actually really tired him out. When really I look at Wilder as just being 34 and this guy, Fury, I mean, with him clinching you and and with Fury, you know, wrapping his arms around you and and almost headlocking you before the ref has to separate it. That's going to take your toll, <laughs> you know, when the big guy is just using his length, pushing you into the corner. And ever since round two, the guy was just flat out gassed and uh, it was a knockdown in round three from uh, Tyson Fury. Real dominance throughout the, the contest from Tyson. And Deontay Wilder kind of relies on one big punch. And um, and this guy, Fury, was just really able to outbox him in his length at 6'9". That's what makes him such a difficult opponent. I don't think there's anybody as tall as this guy. Uh, and, and there's no way that there's people as tall and as smooth as Tyson Fury is with his in-ring uh, kind of movement and mobility. So Tyson Fury... Was able to get a huge, huge W over Wilder, and man, oh man, it was a, uh, it was a really good boxing match. Oh yeah, well, I, I don't know if it was great, but for Fury, it was great. Um, you wanted more resistance from Wilder, but he was just so tired. Uh, actually the ref had, had chances to end the fight, you know, cause the guy was barely kind of standing up and he wasn't really throwing. He could only throw five punches around. So I know that Wilder got pissed at his, at his corner for, for throwing in the towel, but the point was that he wasn't functioning and he had blood coming out of his ear, uh, since round two, which was a horrible, horrible case. And, um, that is what transpired in Vegas. So Fury ends up winning. And the speech after he sung American Pie Don McLean right in the MGM Grant. Savage move, but a great heel, kind of a good a villain move, but also really fun with his wife there, with his whole team there to sing a little American Pie. Uh, that that to me was just absolutely hysterical it showed off the you know his flamboyant personality of Tyson Fury with his wife on hand for that fight but wasn't a great fight like wasn't back and forth but these guys are in their 30s you know and, and wilder styles for the big punch and Wilder was just getting outbeat and 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 the conditioning of fury was just better. And Fury was just landing and just executing at such a higher level out there. And Wilder couldn't couldn't really tee up, you know, his his knockout, his straight right hand and knockout. So overall, a good night on Saturday. And being down, you know, in Philly, going to the bars down there, seeing bars packed, you know, a, a nice cover feed to, to get in and watch the fight. Uh, it, it was a cool scene, you know, watching it at a crowded bar and a, and a big audience like that. And um, yeah, it was a uh, it, it was a good spectacle. And uh, it'd be nice if these guys can can uh, do it again, a little Wilder Fury round three. All right, guys, I've got more to talk about here on Rover Sports. We're gonna talk about. The NFL Combine a little bit. We're going to talk about the Combine today. Joe Burrow measures in at 9 inches. 9 inches of hand, or or his hand measures in at 9 inches. Thumb to pinky it is measured. And Joe Burrow, I mean, you look at guys that have 9-inch hands. I mean, Mahomes has 9.25 And he's the best quarterback in football. Jared Goff, nine inches, but Jared Goff is not exactly that great. Jimmy Garoppolo, 9.25. But Drew Locke is really the one that I think could really help out Joe Burrow because Drew Locke's a guy who plays in Denver, plays in the altitude, he played in Missouri. So, you know, grip strength matters and having nine inch hands. I mean, that's kind of the threshold Jake from It does worry me. It would worry me a little bit, but with Drew Locke, he was able to, you know, his his, his, uh, his, his power, um, the way he even threw in the snow and arrowhead, Drew Locke to me is going to be a guy that I think is going to be a star in this league and because he has the arm strength to make it happen. He has Cortland Sutton. He has the leadership skills. He has all of that, but he's such a talented thrower of the ball. He's a more talented thrower, pure thrower than just about anybody, certainly more than Joe Burrow. Uh, Drew Locke is such a talented thrower of the football. He can throw hash to hash, velocity, throw with touch. That is why and at 6'3", plenty of height, Drew Locke is going to be a star quarterback in this league. That's what I'm saying on Rover Sports, and that's what I'm saying here on my podcast. But for Joe Burrow, it's not the best thing. It's better for guys like Justin Herbert, who had ten-inch hands, or like Daniel Jones, uh, you know, who kind of had uh, you know hand sizes that were more adequate uh, for the NFL quarterback in terms of the hierarchy of the hand sizes. Then you look at um, at Herbert, 10 inches, which is very solid. Uh, Tua Tango Viloa, 10 10 inch left hand. for some reason the right hand is nine inches, seven eighths, basically almost 10 each. So Tua, I don't know why they are not you know the same. I don't know how you can measure hands differently and Tua measured somewhere, you know this past year he had 10 inch hands, even 10 and a quarter hands. And, um, I think it is kind of a big deal. Like if I was a quarterback evaluator, it wouldn't be the only thing, right? But it impacts you in cold weather games, you know, Josh Allen has 10 inch hands um, 10 and a quarter. You look at Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, a huge advantage plays in Seattle in the rain. That guy's a little guy and he has 10 inch hands. So Tongo Vailoa measuring in at 10 inches, that just pretty much is a huge boost for Tongo Vailoa. Then you look at Joe Burrow, not the fastest guy in the world, not even close to the athlete of like a Daniel Jones. Uh, Burrow is a guy that that will lower the, lower the shoulder sometimes but against NFL linebackers he's not going to be doing that. His mobility can only really he throws a little bit rolling to his left, but if you take him off his spot, I think that you could get to Joe Burrow. The best thing Burrow has is his intelligence for the game of football. His he is very accurate underneath, so he he might be he should be able to convert for downs. His confidence is very high right now. Um, his accuracy, his ball placement is, is really, truly awesome. Um, and the report that he's built with the receivers, but I do question sometimes the arm strength. I do question the, um, yeah, the arm strength and the, and the mobility. So basically, you know, can he drive and make throws into the next level or is he going to throw a lot of interceptions and he's going to get pressured and sacked a lot and not be able to escape. So. With Tua, I know that Tua can move in the pocket. I know that his pocket movement is probably the best part of his game. Uh, He's so subtle in the way that he moves up into the pocket to throw. He's incredibly subtle. And those subtleties make him a great player. I look at Steve Young as a comparison, Drew Brees as really the comparisons for Tua, and he has that short release um, and the short release allows it to be a quick release because it's a short release. It's like Chase Utley's baseball swing, you know, it's like Speef's golf swing. It's very efficient, you know? And and I like guys that, you know, don't have the longest of swings or releases, and that's Tango Vailoa's game. So if Tango Vailoa, if the medical records check out, I know that his agent said he didn't want to go to, to Cincy. There are rumblings about Burrow and Cincinnati and we will find more of that out tomorrow at the Media Scrum down in you know in Indianapolis. We'll find more out about Joe Burrow and about um his his interest in playing in uh Cincinnati. I think that this issue I think Herbert and Tua are right up there with Joe Burrow. Uh, I you know I think it's I I think Burrow's actually the biggest risk among all of them. I mean, Tango Valle is an injury risk, but I think f- so so Herbert actually might be the safest pick. And if Justin wants to go right to Cincinnati, if the other two guys don't want to go to Cincy, I think Cincy should be happy to pick Herbert. Herbert's 6-6, he moves so well. And and don't compare Justin Herbert to freaking Brock Osweiler. Herbert has a much smoother release. Herbert can really throw accurately and Herbert Mind mentally is as sharp as anybody. His leadership skills—I mean, every teammate, mostly every teammate, loves Justin Herbert. You know, he kind of is quiet, but at the same time, he can get amped up. He's right there for his teammates. He stays off of social media, so he's not going to really be a cocky kid. That's the last thing you have to worry about. Humble, works hard. And, um, and super smart, 4-0 in biology. So all those detail-oriented traits of Herbert combined with the physical traits, the intangibles of being smart, 4-0 biology, 10 in chance, wins the Rose Bowl, has success at Oregon. You know, sometimes, yes, you want him to adapt to killer instinct, maybe even play with more swag, have more certainty in the way that he finishes games. You know, sometimes he needs to to be more vocal with his teammates, but he did that the last year at Oregon. He's learned how to do that, and he's still a young kid, and veterans are going to love him because he's going to work hard. So I don't think there's really going to be any adjustment. Uh, in terms of any problem in the locker room with Herbert. And I think Herbert is going to be a solid, solid quarterback. Now, Joe Burrow might have a higher ceiling just because of how accurate he is, how consistent he is, how he expects perfection, how he's a perfectionist. Like, even after the Oklahoma game, he threw seven freaking touchdowns, and he's like, I missed a couple of throws. So Joe Burrow has that cockiness, that edge. Uh, I, I, I do love Joe Burrow's personality. And I love even the day that he made fun of it, you know, of the of the hand measurements. And he said on Twitter, uh, contemplating retirement because I'm not sure that my tiny hands will be able to hold on to a football. So that just adds to Burrow the mystique, the personality, six um, three and and three quarters tall, about two thirty. So proper height. Good release, um, not the same arm strength as a lot of guys, and he'd be the first one to tell you that that's kind of a scout's knock on him. And the mobility, he did really improve. And his year at LSU is the greatest uh, college football season, I think, from any player ever in the history of college football. I'm not saying he's one of the greatest college players ever because you'd look at Herschel or Tim Tebow or Bo Jackson. You know, guys that did it over three, four years, Barry Sanders. Uh, but but you could look at Joe, and maybe you could put Joe in the top 20 of all time just for bringing LSU that championship. You know, LSU hasn't won a title in like 16 years since Les Miles was there with Nick Saban. Actually, I think maybe did Saban win that or, or did Les win it? I think actually Les might have won a title, but Saban won like an 3 or something. So... Just adds to, to to Joe Burrow. So basically, I'm saying that Herbert. Um, if I were Cincinnati, I would continue to 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 gauge Burrow's interest. But the way that Burrow is not really committing to Cincinnati, I'm almost ready to just roll with Justin Herbert because I think Herbert is going to be a very good pro. And put it this way, the quarterbacks who bust in this kind of passing league where you're allowed a lot of leeway, where you play early. Um, where the the corners are not really allowed to put their hands on the receivers, where a pass interference is is spot foul. Uh, If you really touch a quarterback or drive him to the ground, it's a 15-yard penalty if it hands to the face of the quarterback. So it's easier to play quarterback. And these offenses, these coaches – are more tailor-made for quarterback play. So even Josh Allen will have his moments. Sam Darnold, Kyler Murray, even Dwayne Haskins. You know, against weak defenses, they'll do well. So it takes even more effort to separate what quarterbacks are good and what quarterbacks are not because even Derek Carr will have a couple of good games. Kirk Cousins. Everybody's in the same mix. Dak Prescott will have a big week. It's not like guys are just failing week after week in the NFL. A lot of quarterbacks, everybody's towards the middle. And then you could look at Jimmy Garoppolo and say, ah, well, Garoppolo was a game manager. He had the best running game in football. You could look at Tannehill like that. Um, and, and then you could say, ah, Matt Stafford can do what Jimmy G could do. So the stats, you know, are important or is winning important. So it's hard to even differentiate the categories of quarterbacks. And that's why it's fun in this day and age to debate what quarterbacks are getting the most done. So it's rare to see a quarterback outright fail when they go to the NFL level. But I'm high on pretty much all these guys. Now, Jordan Love's actually one that I'd worry about because his production wasn't that good at Utah State. He does have big hands, but his delivery is a little bit loopy, and I don't know about the guy. I'm excited to see him interview tomorrow, see if he can lead a room, see if he can be the face of the franchise. Uh, but the measurements are good. I mean, is his arm length too long? That's something that I wonder about. Like, it, does he have too long of arms to really be accurate? Because you look at Tua, Drew Brees, Russ Wilson, all the smaller guys, they are so accurate because, again, they, they don't have the biggest wingspan. So maybe the whole production of throwing the ball, maybe it's harder with all those moving parts. You know, Josh Allen isn't exactly the most accurate underneath guy either. Um. So, but Josh Allen does a lot with his legs, and and Josh Allen's leadership is fantastic. So, I also look at 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 uh, at Eason. Yeah, Eason made some mistakes. I question his love for the game of football, the work ethic, the leadership skills, the production, all of that. I mean, he didn't have the best receiving core at uh, Washington. At Georgia, he was put in a perfect situation to succeed. He did get hurt his second year, but even then, he was still turning it over too much. And that's where Jake Fromm came in, and Jake Fromm point-guarded the offense and and didn't turn the football over. And and then, you know, Jacob ended up leaving, and then Jacob, Eason, I don't know if he still stays in touch with Fromm or not, um, but yeah, like the, we we don't really know the personality of Eason. You know, people have said he's quiet, that he doesn't love football as much, that he's you know kind of an interesting personality like that. And if Arians or Gruden is going to be around Jacob Eason... I think Jacob Eason, like if he proves that he absolutely loves the game, he's willing to do this and and put in a ton of time. You know, then you look at you know if he lands with Arians or Gruden, the guy is six five. He has the strongest arm in the class by a mile. One of the strongest arms you're ever going to see at the combine can be really accurate, can make incredible throws, can actually throw with touch. He has all the physical tools. It's just all mental, and it's getting him to perform at his best. But there's going to be coaches that are going to be floored by the workout and they're 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 going to love the workout um so yeah I mean am I claim? am am I proclaiming that any guys are not going to work I don't think Jake Fromm is is going to work I just looked at his arm strength and you know I I kind of you know saw a little bit of Luke Falk in terms of his arm strength Um, you know, the hand size bothers me combined with the arm strength combined with the game production of not opening up the playbook combined with a little bit of lack of mobility. He's a great kid though. He is a competitor and he does have the intangible values that you do look for at the position. James Morgan, James Morgan out of FIU, very interesting quarterback prospect. I take James Gore. I would take, um, James Morgan over Anthony Gordon. Uh, Anthony Gordon again. I don't love the uh, the the uh, the accuracy or the uh, or the release or or I like the accuracy, but but the arm strength is just you know I'm I'm gonna say a no kind of like Luke Falk. Jalen Hurts too long of a of a delivery, um, not even that mold, You know he is kind of fast in open field, but quarterback mobility, big guy. I don't think that he's that shifty in the pocket in terms of buying time. I actually think Burrow can be better at Herbert. So so Hurts, I, I I'm not as into as a lot of guys in the class. Shea Patterson, eh? Probably just you know kind of a backup. And and and, and actually Jake Fromm and Morgan. Uh, from is a, is a very good guy to take in the fifth round as a backup he's going to be solid and if he needs to play I think from can, can actually execute and move the offense and move the team and, and from just has those intangibles he's a winner he's a great guy to be around so I think from in like the fifth round because I don't think he's going to test well at this combine at all he's kind of been put on the back burner and at UGA with all the expectations with you know Playing for the SEC title in the playoffs uh, a year ago, and then two years ago being in the national championship with Tongo Vailoa, duking it out, and pretty much being like one play away from a champion, from a nat- national championship. Uh, the the three year run uh, for Jake from and the frustration and the expectation being so high, and the fan base, and winning the SEC East so seamlessly. There was no room to go for Jake Fromm but to win a national title. And, you know, the fan base will, will nitpick you. And, you know, and it just was kind of a situation where it's like, <coughs> I've pretty much done everything in college, I've pretty much done everything in this Coley offense. And, you know, I'm excited now. You know, with Swift going into the draft too, I'm excited to 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 move on with my life and, and cash in and be an NFL quarterback and start the next journey. And and that's why I credit Jake Fromm. It's kind of similar to Jared Stidham. Stidham had a, you know, a two-year run at Auburn, had an unbelievable first year, second year, a lot of expectations, didn't live up to the hype. But then he's like the roller coaster of the emotions with the fan base. It's just time that I kind of bounce on out here. Uh, into the NFL draft. Same with Jacob Eason. I think Eason made the right choice. Same with Jordan Love. I'm rarely going to say that a guy, you know, should have gone back. Uh, but actually, Herbert going back, playing with his brother, winning the, 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 the um, winning the Rose Bowl. What a great success story! Instead of just you know winning an Idaho Potato Bowl, finally, you know, Justin Herbert wins a BCS uh, bowl game on a New Year's bowl game situation. So I like Herbert a lot, and if the Bengals want to roll with Herbert, I think that their fan base should embrace it. If Joe Burrow, that there's this whole media, um, you know, swarm that that is obsessed with Joe Burrow not going to Cincinnati, Ohio, and it's uh, it's really frustrating if you're a Bengal fan just to hear you guys just get trashed, and you guys are a small media market and you're kind of just defenseless in a way. I mean, I know people are trying to defend you, and I will do that on this podcast. You know, you guys have had Marvin Lewis. You guys have had some 10-win years, some 11-win years. Yeah, your ownership doesn't acquire great free agents. Yeah, he can, you know, maybe he's not spending as much on free agents. I think that that's apparent. But to act like Cincinnati is, you know, Detroit or Washington or even some or Cleveland, um, I mean, for some reason, the media likes Cleveland a lot more than, than Cincy. Cincy's got done a lot more things than the than the Cleveland Browns, I'll tell you that, or even than the New York Jets in the past 10 years. Uh, so, so maybe we could talk about that. Exclude a couple Rex Ryan years and come on. But I guess it's just the market of New York and playing in New York is so attractive for some um, you know, media members out there. Okay. I'll finish with this topic here. Um, did I ramble? Absolutely. That's the point of a podcast. Uh, I'm I am concerned about Burrow. I need to see him, you know, in a preseason to an NFL game. I don't know. I'm gonna say this. I'll say Herbert Mantua will be better than Burrow. So he shouldn't be the number one pick. So there, there 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 is your hot take. Uh, but I'm not gonna go so far to say that Burrow is not gonna be good. I think he could still be good. So I'm not gonna go all the way down with that. But I'll say I'll say Tua will be better than Burrow. I'll say Herbert will be better than Burrow. All three will most likely be awesome. You'll mostly have Rivers, Philip, Rivers, Ben, and Eli again. And we can argue this for the next 12, 13, 14 years about this draft class and this quarterback class. I, I don't think it's a problem. And then you'll have a Jacob Eason there, you know, and Jacob has, you know, super high ceiling, so he'll he'll even enter into it. So this class is just fantastic and even love a wild card, right? But i marked out the other guys like Hertz. Um, I think Jake Fromm I said could be a backup. Uh, Gordon I've marked out, Shea Patterson. Um James Morgan. I haven't. That's a guy. uh, And Jordan Love, I'm not in love with his game. There you go. Two loves for uh, repetitive phrasing. I'm not in love. I'd rather take a Jacob Eason, and I think Eason is super intriguing. And I am ready for Jacob Eason's interview. I want Eason to be great. And I think that there's a chance that he stuns everybody. I think everybody's writing him off as a bust. I think that the media thinks Herbert because he wasn't you know the most successful at Oregon. I think that, that that a lot of people, you know, the fans and some in the media. Just think, he doesn't have that killer instinct. He's too quiet, and he will be a bust. A lot of people just think that it's a you know big hands, you know height, you know arm strength. They just think that it's a you know a combine warrior or a guy that throws at these camps. But guy's an exceptional young man, and he's going to be good. And then Tua with health will be awesome. And Joe Burrow, I think, will certainly compete, compete for playoff spots, and will be in this league a while because of his intelligence. Um, but I take the physical traits of the other guys. Tua's want just as much as Joe Burrow. Yes, you could say it's Alabama. And then, you know, Herbert's played four years and Burrows played one. How much of Burrows' credit is to Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, Thaddeus Moss and Edwards Alaire? And of course, the mastermind behind it all, Joe Brady. I mean, that isn't Joe Burrow's fault. He had to accent it. He had to put the whole thing in motion. And I gave him credit for having the greatest college football season ever. Joe Burrow, hilarious guy. Would love to get him on the podcast. And I am a fan of Burrow. So even though I, you know, I'm going to say I'll take the other two guys to, to work out, it's kind of like when you bet against your own team um you have to give away some money but then your own team wins that's kind of how i view the debate with burrow because i do love the kid i love his you know tenacity i love his story of, be- of being the three star uh you know ohio state not going well reuniting with coach o- or you know, starting out at LSU with Coach O, and um, just that whole relationship was incredible. And to see them win it all, and, the, and to see how much Joe Burrow cares, and to see him live out his dream and win a Heisman and do it for Northeast Ohio. Or, yeah, I think it's Northeast Ohio, or is it Southeast Ohio? he's awesome. He's raising money for for food right now, you know, for kids that are going hungry in Ohio. He's a a wonderful kid, wonderful kid, wonderful parents, brothers who played at Nebraska as well. All right. Anyway, we'll, we'll get a lot of combine stuff. I mean, interviews tomorrow, Probably do a special Thursday night Thursday night episode podcast uh, because, holy crap, we are going to have quarterback workouts on primetime on Thursday with the receivers that are amazing and the uh, tight ends and running backs. Creighton, been waiting a while. Got to the 46-minute mark for CU Basketball. This is an all-encompassing podcast because, again, on the weekend, you kind of view a lot of sports. It can be a sports buffet of sorts. Kansas gets a win, you know, a big win over Baylor. You look at the top uh, top of the chain right now, top 10, Creighton's in the top 10. You have teams like Dayton and San Diego State probably going to win out when their conference tournaments. But you also have teams like Kentucky that can fall. You know, maybe a Maryland, you know, in, in the Big Ten championship can lose. So Creighton just needs a couple teams to lose. And if you're in the top eight, if you're in the top eight, you get a two-seed in this tournament. So if, you, if Creighton wins out, wins the Big East, and then wins in MSG, wins all their games, they're going to be a, a, probably a two-seed in this dang tournament, and that's going to be amazing for them getting to their first-ever Sweet 16. This team, the way that they play defense, it's just such a joy to watch these guys play basketball, and they are hitting their stride right now. They are absolutely on a tear, nine out of their last ten. Uh, I believe four in a row since the Providence game right in the middle of the 10. Uh, beat Marquette, uh, beat Butler, uh, and, and beat Seaton Hall. Like, like, like beating like three, a, a three out of their last four against teams in the top 20 and they're blasting teams. They blasted DePaul, they blasted Butler. At home, Zigarowski Marcus hit seven for seven threes. Mitch Ballack, his passing ability. The Jays at home, I mean, in Omaha at CenturyLink Center, they are just dominant. I love their home crowd. It's like an NBA arena in Omaha, unbelievable facilities. This team, they love each other. You know, Zigarowski said, you know, credit, you know, I credit my teammates for spacing the floor so I can hit, you know, those shots. Nobody's about themselves. They're all about winning. Like, they, they're like, I don't care if I score five points as long as our team wins. And they truly mean that. You know, I know it could be cliche, you know, to say that, and a lot of teams will say that. It's really real with Creighton basketball. You know, Tyshawn adds 15. Ballack, you know, six assists again, you know, hits three threes. Bishop, 19 points, dunking all over everybody, coming into his own as a 6'8, you know, kind of kind of center. Just a stud out there on the floor. Kelvin Jones giving you solid minutes. Rotation is sharp right now. You know, Mahoney got Sharif Mitchell to help you come in as a point guard. The rotation is perfect right now at the 7 or 8 group. This team is tight. This team is is rocking at the right time. I'm enjoying the heck out of the season and and seeing Coach Mack. This team was projected 7th in the Big East, okay? And um, and wow, wow. Even had some injuries earlier in the season. Uh, Once they got Mahoney in there, once they kind of found their groove, it's a special, special team. It's a special, special team that's playing unbelievable basketball. Ziggorowski. And this the team, you know, I think that they can even compete with the Doug teams. You know, I don't I don't want to compare them. You know, that's tough to do. <clears throat> if they win the Big East, if they win the Big East tournament, get to the Sweet 16 and dance. I bet a lot of the Creighton fans will then put him over the Doug teams. They'll say Doug was an amazing player. There were some other guys on that team that were so good. Uh, but, but again, I'm, I just, you know, I was kind of a kid then. I was a high school kid looking up to Doug, looking up to Avery Dingman, Jehens, man, I got Josh Jones, uh, you know, Brooks from, uh, from New York there, Devin Brooks, you know, Austin Chapman. I mean, Ethan, Ragbom, Raggy, incredible team, and Janike with the pink shoes, just an absolute legend, Grant Gibbs, probably my favorite basketball player ever is Grant Gibbs, Dougie, Zierden, the list goes on and on, that is one of the greatest basketball teams ever, the, the 2012 and 2013 teams are, are some of the most beautiful basketball you ever see. With Ethan hitting, Avery Dingman hitting threes, Doug hitting threes, Grant will take a three, Jehens will hit a three. Jehens will drop 22 at Bradley in Peoria. I mean, Jehens is that good of a player. You know, and Janike, Grant Gibbs and his passing ability. Will Artino chipping in off the bench and helping you out. You know, you got Ross Farini now. He's doing the games. He was a guy that would come in off the bench too, Taylor Stormberg. Josh Jones, Antoine Young. What a team. Austin Chapman, I I mentioned. Just the glory days of college and Creighton basketball. The 2013-2012 teams. Who cares? They won the, the, you know, the tournament, hey, they ran up against Baylor, who had Corey Jefferson and Isaiah Austin and Brady Heslip. That's a damn good Baylor team as a six seed, okay? And it was a terrible matchup in the zone and the length, okay? Bovert Creighton, who were Ethan was like the center that year, okay? Noah and Janike that year. They still beat Alfred Payton. They still beat Alabama and Cincinnati in the first round, so three first-round tournament wins. They won Arch Madness. They won the Missouri Valley uh, Conference Championship. They also won the Missouri Valley regular season title they got to the title game I think in New York second in the Big East for the first year that they're in the dang conference never playing before and they ushered Creighton in Doug's team ushered Creighton in on a way where Creighton could get its footing in the Big East and now Creighton is at, is 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 looking at this conference and like we're actually we're actually starting to be the <laughs> We're starting to be the damn elite in this conference. Instead of little Omaha, Nebraska, instead of just dipping our feet in here to the kid pool, we're now dominating the kid pool. We're now in the adult pool. We're now the establishment in this dang Big East. Get on our level, Marquette. What are you doing, Butler? You know, Villanova, you've been in the Big East forever. We're coming. You know, DePaul, Marquette, you know, you guys have been in this conference longer but we're beating you now, and that confidence grows over years, and, and Greg McDermott needed some time to adapt to the league. But his first year having one of the greatest college basketball players ever in Doug McDermott usher his father into Creighton, uh, into the Big East and Bruce Rasmussen putting the Jays in the Big East Conference, now Creighton starting to dig it. They're starting to feel at home, and with Paul Lust coming over, this defense is just so attached. These guys are unselfish. They love just getting better each and every day. They're not looking too far ahead. They're enjoying the ride. And that's what I'd urge Creighton basketball fans. Enjoy this ride. St. John's in like a week's time or in like six days. Go to New York. That'll be tough. Even the Doug team, right? It, the last year lost at the guard in the St. John's. That's gonna be very hard. Even Duke can, you know, always loses to St. John's on the on those, you know, Sundays on CBS. So Here's the point, all right? St. John's, talented Biggies team, have some players. Don't take that game lightly. And then, and then, got. And if you get past St. John's, you got Georgetown-Seton Hall last week of the season, two games at the CenturyLink to win the Big East title. And if Nova loses, you even get an outright title. You don't even have to go to tie breaks. If Seton Hall can beat Nova... I've got to check when that game is. I think, well, it's actually on Wednesday. Might be the second to last game. Wow, before. the uh, So Seton Hall has to play Nova before Creighton. So even better. Things are coming up. Blue Jays, baby. Things are coming up, Jays. What a win. I expected them to keep rolling. I'm loving the show. And I'm loving every minute that this team's playing together. And it's a blessing to watch these guys play the game of basketball. It can it can, you know, make a sad day, and it it could give you kind of some happiness on a sad, sad day. So there we go. We're fifty-five minutes down the rabbit hole here on Rover Sports, the podcast, a fifty-five minute episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Probably release it Tuesday. And uh, take care, guys. Thank you for listening to the show.